guys welcome back to my channel today i am like super crazy excited to have the legendary the one the only dallas steel that's quite the introduction there <laughs> i hope i live up to it <laughs> yeah I, I don't think you're gonna have an issue living up to that so let i mean you've been doing this forever let's start at the beginning how how did you get into the sex industry? It was right after the dinosaurs. No, <laughs> no, it's a long story. Uh, I'll try to make it as brief as possible, and it's not an entirely happy story. And people, um, by some accounts in the media, people have suggested that I walked from the television news set to the porn set, and that's entirely untrue. Um, I worked in television news for 24 years, mostly in the Dallas-Fort Worth market. And my last market was Fort Myers, Naples, Florida, um, where I was the main anchor of the NBC station there. And it went well for about two years. Our ratings were up, things were good. Uh, and then one day my boss called me into the office and said, you know, uh, yeah, the ratings may be up, but we've been doing this research and we found that the people here really don't like you. Uh, I never actually saw the research, but it was at that point after 24 years with the daily stress of the business and, you know, you come in every morning and the ratings are on the wall and you have to, um, you know, if you're, if you're up, things are good. Or if you're steady, things are good. But if it fell off at any point during your broadcast, there's going to be questions about uh, what you did wrong, what you said to, to piss people off or, you know, what exactly happened. Uh, even if it wasn't you, even if it was content or, hell, I don't know, maybe someone got up to piss, you know, uh, but you get blamed for it. It all comes back to you because you're the face of the station. So um, all of that was going on. And uh, my partner at the time uh, was creative director for an automobile, automobile magazine in Ann Arbor. And we would fly back and forth on weekends. And so I said, all right. Enough, screw this. I took the severance package. I moved back to Michigan and we lived a couple more years there and then his job got cut. So we moved back to Dallas where we had met in 2002. Yeah, thereabouts. And uh, he got a job right away uh, with Mary Kay Cosmetics as VP of Creative, which was a really big job there. And I kind of floundered around for a while. I was bartending at Dallas Eagle. A lot of people still know me from that, which was great fun. And I really didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, but he uh, was supervising photo shoots all over the world and uh, came back from one and uh, was in intensely good spirits about it. Uh, but he loved the job so much, I just didn't know how much stress he was under. And he had developed a habit of using maximum impact, the, the spray, uh, and not necessarily in a sexual capacity, but to escape the daily stress of life. And a couple of times he had passed out from using it after vomiting and uh, scared the fuck out of me, really. Yeah. And uh, the third time I came home and found him face down in blood and vomit and uh, dead for several hours. So uh, that was pretty traumatic. That was uh, August 11th of 2014 that that happened. Uh, and, you know, you have plans that you've made for years and years and years with this person. And suddenly, you know, everything's a big question mark and you're just holding this lifeless body. Uh, so that was that was tough. My uh, my best friend said, you know, you're not going to keep this house. It's 
his family basically got everything because there was no will. You couldn't be married in 2014. So his family took everything. And my best friend says, you know, you, uh, you're not going back to news. You've always wanted to do porn. Why don't you just apply and, uh, and see what happens? And I was like, well, I don't know who to apply with. And I go, who do you think are good studios? And he's like, oh, well, I really love Colts and I really love Titan. Uh, two, you know, really traditional old school studios. Excuse me. Um, and so I applied and a week later, both called me and I had shoots set up two weeks later, uh, back to back, I might add, which I think about that now. It's like, oh, wow, uh, four days with uh, Colt and then a week with Titan. It was a lot <laughs> right out of the gate. Uh, but I, I certainly loved it. And it was part necessity and uh, a little bit of desperation, but I, I really did want to do it. I didn't feel like I was being forced into anything. Uh, and both were great experiences. I would have to say that um, uh, Christopher Weston uh, was incredibly kind on my very first shoot. And uh, Pup Amp uh, was there as well, even though it was a, the first one was a solo. He was there uh, encouraging me. And then I had a scene with him the next day, and he was my first duo scene. And March of uh, 2015. So, uh, and then Titan a week later, uh, the VP of Titan, Keith Webb, was uh, very kind to me. He lives here in Palm Springs somewhere, although I, ne I never see him, but I know he lives here. Uh, we don't really get much occasion to talk, but uh, certainly Jason Mark, who was um, the director for Titan back then, uh, we see each other all the time. He's, he's a talented guy, love him to death. Um, so that's, that's kind of how I got into it. Um, you know, and, and some would say, oh, you know, that's a horrible story. But, you know, uh, I think my, my late partner, Kelly, uh, would be very proud of me uh, and for how this has turned out and, and where it's gone. Um, gosh, I think about all his marketing abilities and all the stuff he would have been able to do, you know, in terms of creating, uh, you know, stuff for Twitter and, and what have you. He would have been terrific with that. Yeah. No, that's. I realize that's a bit to take in. The <laughs> boy's like, "Whoa, that's a story." <laughs> no, I. Let's just say I've I've been exactly where you were, mm -hmm. and I know exactly how that feels. And at least for me, that became literally the single most defining moment of my life. Yeah, Everything it kind of, it kind of is. is to just become someone they would be proud of. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think I have, uh, along those lines, I think he, uh, meaning my late partner definitely, uh, thinks there's some other things I still need to do. Uh, I'm only 53. I've got a lot of years to go. So there's some other things I want to do too. And I think there's some other things God has for me as well. Um, you know, we'll see. <laughs> yeah. So, Obviously, you enjoyed doing it because you, you stuck with it. Like, <laughs> what yeah. do you attribute your longevity to? You know, because this industry has a... Uh, a no rid of me. <laughs> I, I, uh, someone called me the, uh, the, the Betty White of gay porn. <laughs> I don't know if that's a compliment or not. Good Lord. <laughs> but, you know, Mary Tyler Moore, you know, she was the slutty one. So I guess that makes sense. And it goes with the news part, right? So there, there's that. Uh, but I, I, I think, yeah, that's part of it is I kind of refuse to go away. <laughs> but I, I do think that in the last 
certainly the last five years, definitely, um, you know, the last three years, we've seen a huge resurgence of daddies that suddenly daddies are crazy popular, not just in porn, but in general. So it's a, it's a good time to be a daddy. And I think it's a good time to be a daddy in gay porn uh, because the market seems to be big for that. And, and I also think that, you know, if, if studios were more open to it, um, a lot of times they get stuck in the genre that if there's a daddy involved, it has to be daddy boy. It has to be the creepy stepdad. It has to be the creepy uncle, the creepy counselor, camp counselor, all of that. I, I've played all of those more times than I can count. Um, but I think there's room if a studio decides, hey, how about we just have sexy daddies with sexy daddies? What's wrong with that? Um, and you do see that sometimes, but it, it's pretty rare. And they're kind of stuck in that, um, that, that cliche formula that it has to be the daddy boy thing. And I'm not saying, I am not saying that I don't find that hot. Uh, for God's sake, you know, I'm, I'm most associated with fun size boys, which is, you know, a much older guy and a younger, small guy. And that's a thing, you know, um, I'm not here to, as uh, Pup Amp would say, yuck someone else's yum. Um, if that's your thing, you know, that's great. But I, th I think there's a definite market out there for daddies and daddies as well. Yeah, no, it's, that's true. I'm curious, like, because you were around before all these, like, fan sites yeah. and everything right. popped up. What are your thoughts on what that's done to the industry? Um, well, um, I think sites like OnlyFans and Just for Fans have definitely allowed performers to make their own products, set their own rules, and have their own business. You, um, you really don't have to have a studio anymore to be successful in porn. There are people who have, you know, probably six times the number of followers on Twitter as well as subscribers on the, their fan sites as any studio would ever get them. They're making six times the money that any studio would ever pay them and good for them. Yeah. Um, my thought would be that as this evolves, the only way that studios are going to survive and this can be done because the technology is already there is for performers to get a share of streaming sales for every time that movie's watched, you get something. Um, otherwise, um, I, I'm not sure what the incentive is for people to go to studios. I mean, I see, um, I'm a big fan of Raheem. Um, I, I see his his work and I think, damn, this is like studio quality work. In some cases, probably better. Uh, why, why does he need to work with the studio? You know, yeah. and there's a there's a number of people uh, like that, that I, I see that, you know, Rocco is another one. I mean, he doesn't need a studio. He's his own studio. Um, yeah. And I think going forward, that's probably what we're going to see. And COVID definitely uh, sped all that up. Right. Um, you know. I, I wouldn't want to go back to the days of COVID, but let's just say the money during COVID was amazing because all that stimulus money was out there. Guys had a lot of time and everything else in their hands, right? And so uh, they did watch a whole lot of porn. Trust me, a whole lot of porn back then. Uh, it, it was uh, financially really good times uh, in the porn business, at least for OnlyFans and just for fans. Now, studios obviously had trouble because they couldn't, do their thing, but we certainly could and did, uh, you know, you see, uh, although I did find it funny that you would see these guys, you know, going at it. Yeah. You know, everyone's bareback, but we got to wear a mask. <laughs> How does that work? You know, 
we're not, we may give STIs, but you're not going to get COVID. All right. Okay. <laughs> I'm just saying. No, I, I did get a few of those requests where they're like, oh, I'd love to shoot with you, but we need to wear a mask. I'm just like, really? Seriously? Well, and, and there was an occasion during COVID uh, where I won't name the performer because everyone knows the story. It was on Straight Up Gay Porn where there was a performer who was planning to come out here and asked me if I wanted to shoot OnlyFans and super hot guy, still is, nothing against that. But he said, well, uh, you need to go get a COVID test and an SDI test before I'll shoot with you for an OnlyFans. And he was particularly adamant about the COVID test. I'm like, we're, we're going to be fucking each other. I mean, we're going to be in each other's space, you know, um, even if I test negative, you know, we all know what the testing gap was sometimes two and three days or even overnight, you could still yeah. uh, you could still be positive with the virus and there's no way you would be certain of it. So even a positive test or even a negative test really didn't mean a whole lot in the scope of things. But he made a huge deal of this. And all I said is, um, I'm sorry, I'm not going to go get a COVID test just to shoot an OnlyFans. You know, if it was a, you know, a, a $2,000 studio shoot, maybe, uh, but not just for an OnlyFans. I mean, I shoot sometimes three and four a week. I was during COVID, didn't stop. Uh, don't feel guilty about it. Uh, no one I know got infected uh, by anything that we did. Um, I had COVID twice. Um, my symptoms were fairly minor. I got vaccinated as soon as the opportunity was there. Uh, have gotten the booster shots, have no issue with that. Um, I, do, I do have issue with dictating that everyone has to be vaccinated. Um, if you choose not to, I think that that's your, that's your, your right with your body. Um, yeah. You know, <laughs> you, you can't have it both ways on that one. <clears throat> no, for sure. Like, it's just, I think you hit the nail on the head, though, because, like, for me, my Achilles heel with, like, studio shoots was I hate traveling. It's like nails on a chalkboard to me. I get that some people love it, but I'm just I like, love it. Yeah. Oh. But it's like once you finally start making more off your own content in the studio shoots, you're just like, why the fuck do I do that? There's no reason to. Right. And, um, you know, it is um, anyone who's done considerable studio work knows the environment that it is, and it's challenging, um, can sometimes be a bit clinical certainly can be um, long and tedious. Um, and the thing is, you know, I've been on some shoots that are, you know, super intense. Titan shoots were pretty intense in terms of how long the day was and their expectations of you. Plus you had the ad burden of condoms, uh, which, which made things, um, I was gonna say harder, but that's not, <laughs> that's not really true. Um, made things more challenging for sure. Um, and I've been on easy shoots where Everything just flowed. And I think it has a lot to do with uh, the structure of the studio, who's doing the directing, um, you know, and, and who you have involved. I know with Titan, um, after like the first year, they would always put me with new talent uh, because they knew I would be patient, I would be kind, I would be um, warm. And that's not true of, you know, it's been my experience, that's not true of all performers. Um, yeah. At the end of the day, I always remind people that um, sex is supposed to be fun. Even when it's in front of a camera, it's supposed to be fun. And yes, it's a business. Yes, take it seriously. But at the end of the day, if you're, if you're not having fun, then you probably shouldn't be doing it. Because at some point, 
that comes across. You can tell oftentimes in front of the camera when people are not having fun. Um, yeah. Same thing with authenticity and news. You can tell people behind the camera if they're the kind of person you would want to go have a beer with, the kind of person you would trust, you know? Yeah, no, for sure. And I think that's one of the biggest things that is uh, increasing the popularity of just for fans and only fans <laughs> is people enjoy watching someone that they're actually into. They can, you know, detect the authenticity of it, that it's not, you know, because a lot of times with a lot of studio stuff, you can tell, like, these two people are not into each other because they're not right. picking their partner. Well, uh, it's something that I do consistently in all of my OnlyFans, and I, I don't know if anyone notices this, but I, I often break that fourth wall when I'm, you know, with someone, I'll look over kind of like, yeah, don't you wish you were here? You know, uh, don't you wish you were uh, licking this ass or whatever? You know, I'll do that. I do that pretty consistently. There's always that little kind of devilish grin, you know, oh, this is fun. Um, and you should be having fun. And it's, it's like anything else with me. I like to share that fun with who's around me, you know, yeah. um, ultimately shoots should be fun. Um, and you should enjoy who you're working with. I mean, I've never, everyone says, what do you get? What happens if a studio pairs with you, pairs you with someone unattractive? Well, I, I have never been <laughs> paired with a guy who I didn't find attractive. Um, for the most part is I'm, I'm pretty open to all kinds of guys. I mean, like everything from twinks to daddies to bears, a little bit of everything. Um, so it, it would be hard for me to find someone unattractive, but there certainly have been some unattractive personalities with uh, people that were rude or inconsiderate or uh, self-absorbed um, that, that has happened. Um, and no, I'm, I won't name names ever. Uh, I, I don't think that's useful. Um, this is trashy. Well, and people always ask me, you know, uh, who is your favorite screen partner or who is your favorite screen partner? You know what? I am never going to say that either. Um, they're all my favorites. And I say that because what if you meet someone or what if you work with them a second or third time and they walk onto the set and they say, well, yeah, I realize I'm not your favorite, but we have to work together today. You know, how does that feel? Uh, or um, conversely, I wouldn't want someone to know that I wasn't their favorite. Um, so I don't say that. Um, they're, they're, they're all my favorites. And it's kind of like um, I always think that, you know, one thing when uh, escorting has taught me is that there's there's really something sexy about every man. Uh, there's something there in his personality, in his appearance, um, in, in his mind. There's something sexy about every man. You just have to look for it. Um, and, and that that transfers over to porn, too. Yeah. No, I mean, personality, it just it goes so far. Like, it, it I mean, I, what I like to say is, like, how many times have you seen a guy at the gym or wherever where it's, like, physically they'll be really hot, and then you see their personality, and it's like that 10 drops so to zero. Yeah, yeah. Um, I always say I would I would much rather hook up with a so-called average guy. And that's in quotes because, you know, beauty's in the eye of the beholder. What one person thinks is average may be exceptional for another. Uh, but, you know, I generally average guys are generally a lot more fun because they're not so concerned with themselves. 
Um, they can laugh at themselves. You can have a good time. Um, usually super passionate. You know, I love that. I love that. You know, if, if you need to stop to put on a toner and a mirror, uh, get out the mirror before we have sex, that's a problem, you know, or this has happened. Uh, I got one guy shot on OnlyFans with needed porn of himself in a video monitor. Yeah, <laughs> that's a new one, isn't it? <laughs> I have never heard that. The only thing worse is someone who wants your porn in the monitor while you're having sex. That's worse. I don't want to see myself. I really don't. <laughs> yeah, no. I, I Have you ever even watched any of your own content? I can't watch mine. Well, uh, I edit all my own stuff. So, really? Uh, yeah, I, I have watched... If it's on my site, I have watched every frame more than once. Uh, I don't post a movie till I've watched it twice. Uh, my editing process is, I, you know, usually we'll start working on something one day. Uh, I'll do an initial cut of it, and then I'll go back and watch it the second day, and then usually make modifications to it. If I'm still happy with it on the third day, then I'll render. Uh, but it's a long process. Um, and I cut trailers. I cut my own trailers. I do my own screen captures. I photo correct all of that. That was a cat running by. Do you ever sleep? How do you have time for that? <laughs> well, um, there's actually more to it than that. Um, most people know I have two partners and have for uh, almost eight years now. Uh, the one, um, my, my younger partner, um, is, is a bit of a story. Um, he was introduced to me by my late partner, the one that took his life. Um, it was about six months before that they started talking on Facebook and my late partner wanted, uh, we goes by boy steel to come be our houseboy when we lived in Dallas. And he would kept teasing me about it and saying, yeah, let's let us have him down for the weekend. And I said, no, he's too young. He's too young. He's too young. How Finally, young is young? <laughs> well, uh, we've been together eight years. He's now 39, so he's 31. I don't consider that young. That young, yeah. yeah. So um, we invited him to come spend the weekend. And as I said, uh, Kelly was a VP of creative for Mary Kay Cosmetics and got called away to supervise a photo shoot. So I spent the weekend with Boy Steel. We had a great weekend, uh, some great sex. And he uh, agreed that he should come back uh, in two weeks and meet my, my partner. And in, in the interim, he, he took his life. So he never got to meet him. Uh, but that's how, how we met. And then six months later, we started talking again and, uh, we've been together ever since. So, uh, wow. we wor he works in mysterious ways and I don't believe God is ever the author of anything bad, but I do believe when something bad is about to happen, he finds a way to help us through it, bring us through it and show us the light on the other side. So, uh, so I have, to, I have the two partners. Uh, the other one, uh, I met, uh, shortly after DJ, like two years in, and we're kind of on the, the sister wives model. Um, the two of them are not romantic or sexual with each other. I'm basically have two partners. Um, I sleep in the middle. Um, when we, walk places. I generally walk in the middle. Um, when we go, we all go on vacation together. I sleep in the middle there. Um, 
although on cruises, it's a bit challenging because you have the queen bed and then you have the sofa bed. So we kind of rotate around and they just rotate into the bed. <laughs> so um, that's not to say that the two of us or the three of us uh, don't ever end up in sexual situations with each other. Uh, but they're usually on either end of a guy um, and they don't touch each other. Um, but they're okay with that. And um, certainly they uh, have both shot some of my only fans and, and that type of thing. And my younger partner's actually been in some and two commercial movies, although he decided porn wasn't his thing. Um, so I have, uh, you know, I take care of the two of them. I pack the boys lunch every morning before he goes to work. Um, I take care of the house. I take care of the cars. And then I also have movies to shoot and movies to edit 40 to 60 emails every day from fans to answer. Um, two cats and a dog to take care of. Um, so there's, there's a lot, there's a lot going on besides just only fans and just for fans. And people yeah. always ask me, well, why aren't you traveling? Why aren't you doing this? And I'm like, oh, I got a lot going on. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, that, that sounds like multiple full-time jobs. I don't know. I, I can't do the poly thing. I'm like very old school in that regard, but you know, my hat's off to you if you make it work. Well, I, um, no, aside from the fact I have two partners, uh, and aside from the fact uh, I do porn, um, we're pretty traditional around here. I mean, that sounds strange, uh, but I have a date night with each of them. We have a night where we all kind of hang out together. We uh, often have dinner together. We sit at the table. Uh, we talk about the day. <laughs> we have uh, family time usually every night from nine to 10, where we watch something on TV together before bed. Um, so it, it, it's, a it's a, it's a strange kind of family, but it's interesting. My stepfather and his fiance, uh, my mom passed about four years ago, but I'm still close with him and they're from rural Wyoming. They came to visit back in October, uh, and were, uh, they knew that I had two partners and, you know, saw them, saw our house, saw our life met our friends. We took them to the gay area of Palm Springs. And I specifically made a point to introduce them to two of our friends that are late 60s, early 70s that have been together for 43 years. And my stepfather says, um, wow, I didn't know two men could be together that long. I'm like, <laughs> I, actually, I didn't know two people in any, any way could be that, together that long. <laughs> and like going to kill each other. Uh, but uh, these two guys are, are the best of friends and they were a great example for them to see. Uh, and I think it really opened their eyes and, you know, they want us to come visit up there again sometime. Uh, so I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Um, and you wouldn't expect that from, you know, two people who live in rural, rural Wyoming who have never really seen a lot of gay people. Yeah. That's no, I mean, that's true. That's a long relationship by any standard. Oh yeah, it is. And, uh, I, I get from people online all the time. Oh, I can't even get one man and you have two. I'm like, believe me, unless you want to do the work to have two partners, the work that's involved to maintain that, then, then don't complain. Uh, because it is a lot of work. It's, it's, it is more work than being with one person, uh, because oh. there are several relationships. There's me and boy Steele. There's me and my other partner. And then there's all three of us together. And then they have, even though it's not a romantic relationship, they have a relationship too, um, as, you know, uh, partners of sorts, as family living in the same house. So there's a lot of 
different relationships to maintain within the three of you. Um, and you have to, you have to work at all of them, uh, consistently. Yeah, no, that, that a lot of people want results, but they're not willing to do the work. Well, that's, and that's like, that's like the gym, you know, um, I, I've, I've been in the gym every day for 28 years. I've only missed 72 days in 28 years, including weekends and holidays. I don't miss. I, I tell people, if you don't see me, check the morgue because uh, I go every single day, even when I'm traveling. Uh, even Christmas, I, I went and did cardio and abs on Christmas morning. Um, that was actually going to be my next question is how you got into that. Because I'm I'm the same way. If I got to shovel snow for three hours to go to the gym, I'm doing I'm gonna do it. Yeah. Um, well, there's... there's Again, it's a bit of a story. This will be in the book someday. But uh, when I was growing up, um, my my dad was an alcoholic uh, before I was born, until many years after. And my brother was a heroin addict by the time he was 17. Um, so there was a lot of uh, abuse, um, uh, substance abuse, and a lot of violence in my house because they would frequently fight. And... Um, to try and um, calm things or to try and soothe me, my mom fed me and basically gave me whatever I want, you know, donuts, macaroni and cheese, hot dogs, you name it. And so um, my parents got divorced when I was 10 um, and she continued to try and make up for everything that happened and fed me and fed me and fed me. And by the time I was 14, I had a 42 inch waist and weighed 240 pounds. So, I was a big boy and got teased uh, all through junior high. And then the first year of high school, um, even the teachers back then would tease me, some of them. Uh, in a PE, take, PE class, the, the guys would come up and like slap my legs till they had welts. They would grab my chest and, uh, you know, yank my nipples and everything. Um, it was not pleasant. And so um, I ended up uh, trying to kill myself at the end of my freshman year. And um, after I got out of treatment, um, the principal at the school said, you know, why don't you just take your GED or, and go on to college? And so I did. And so I left in my sophomore year and ended up finishing two years before my class. So it worked out. But when I got to the, the junior college, uh, I realized that I could lose that weight if I started walking, which I did 30 minutes a week, three times, 30 minutes a day, three times a week. Then I started running four times a week. Then I started reading books on how to change my diet, um, all of that. And within about six months, I had lost 60 pounds. That was pretty substantial weight loss. And then uh, about a year after that, um, <laughs> I went to my first gay pride parade and saw the Altoids guys on the float, you know, I'm like, oh my gosh, I, that's what I want. I want to look like that. And so um, I started lifting weights, but I, I had no idea what the fuck I was doing. I really didn't, no idea. Uh, and I, then I started reading and, you know, getting knowledge and eventually hired a trainer. And two years into it, the trainer says, you know, you've definitely got the physique to do this. You're 6'3 and 230 pounds at, you know, like 12% body fat. You know, we could easily have you competing in a matter of months if you were willing to uh, to take that on. And I was like, oh, you know, you can't be serious. You can't be serious. And 
I did my first show in 2003 as a, a novice heavyweight and took second place in 18 guys. So my last competition uh, was just uh, two years ago, uh, 2019. I took first place in men over 50 and second place in men over 40 just after I turned 50. And then I went to nationals masters and I took fifth place at national masters in 2019. So a bunch of trophies over on the shelf over here from the last 20 years. And um, I probably will be back to it um, next year in, in classic physique. Jesus. So, yeah, it's a, uh, it takes oh. a lot of money and a lot of discipline and a lot of time. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I, that's retardedly impressive. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm blown away. Like I, I have a, yeah. a heart condition, so I can't compete, but right. I definitely am very well aware of like the dedication and the discipline. And I mean, it's. It takes a lot out on your family too. The, the weeks and weeks of dieting where, you know, you can't drink, there's no sugar, there's no pasta, there's no bread, there's no milk. Uh, it makes going out to dinner with you a lot of fun. It really does, <laughs> you know, or, uh, Hey, let's go clubbing. No, can't do that either. Or if you go, you know, you're going to be drinking, uh, water or club soda or something. So, uh, but it's a good test of your, of your discipline. And there's a reason why less than 1% of people ever get up on that stage is because yeah. it requires a lot of discipline and most people, um, don't have that level of discipline. And that's not to say that they're, I'm not saying uh, people who don't compete are slobs or anything like that. I'm just saying it's an intense level of discipline to do that. Oh yeah, no, for sure. So what else do you enjoy off camera? I mean, <laughs> you Like, you know, one of the things that made me start the show is like when people think porn star, you know, they think, drug addict, alcoholic, train wreck, you know, they think only negative shit. Right. And, you know, I, I want to dispel that, but you seem like exceptionally, exceptionally well-rounded, probably more so than anyone I've talked to. I, I think part of that is, you know, I had a, um, a great career before this in, in television news. Um, I interviewed every living president either <clears throat> before or after they were president, a couple during, um, there was one day, and and even if you're not, uh, you know, regardless of what political party, um, you have to appreciate this. There was one day when I was with CBS in Dallas that uh, Rick Perry was campaigning for re-election in in Texas, and uh, George W. and H. W. Bush, uh, one president and one former president, were campaigning with him in Texas that day, and my station sent me to Dallas Love Field to meet them at the end of the day, and I mean we don't say this on, on the air, but the truth is you're there in case something happens in case someone in the hangar has a weapon. It, it's terrible to say, but it, it, imagine missing something like that. Yeah. So it's like 1230 AM and they sent me to this hangar and I'm looking around for all the rest of the local media. And there's just uh, me and a photographer from the Dallas boarding news. And uh, my videographer, I said, well, you know, where's the rest of the media? He said, well, they're probably smart enough to know that the secret service has got this and nothing's going to happen. <laughs> so, uh, I'm waiting and waiting and, you know, the, the press people get off air force one and come in and they, um, 
ask me what I'm going to ask. Of course, the Secret Service has already searched all our stuff and checked me, all of that. And pretty soon the hangar opens and in walks uh, Rick Perry and the two presidents. And I'm, you know, obsessing all of a sudden, what am I going to ask them? Because I thought someone else would ask the big questions. <laughs> I just was trying to stand there and hold a microphone. So suddenly I had to come up with some questions, which uh, I, I quickly did. And uh, it went well, but I remember looking at H.W. Bush's tie. And it was really frayed around the edge of it. And I, I finally, after like four questions, said, uh, sir, uh, what happened with your tie? And he said, well, I don't know. Barbara gave it to me and it, it was dark when I was getting dressed and blah, blah, blah. And I remembered in my bag that I always keep a spare tie. So I reached down and got the tie and said, I think you need to have this tie. <laughs> and he took the tie and and they walked off. It was uh, it was an interesting moment. Uh, but that kind of thing is, is uh, you don't forget that. That's a big deal. Um, I was also at Columbine for a week and a half. Uh, we got there about four hours after it happened. They flew us up from, from DFW. Uh, I was right by the airport and they said, get on the plane. And that was probably, you know, one of the first big school shootings. And now we'd look at that and that pales in comparison to the stuff that we see happens today. Yeah, no, it's, oh God, I can go but, back. Yeah. You know, all of, uh, all of that, um, and, and certainly meeting a lot of people um, throughout that 24 years um, gives you a good impression of, of how people are, how they think. And I can usually tell in like four to five minutes uh, whether I trust someone, whether they're honest, um, I, I can get a lot from the, those four or five minutes. And that just comes from practice of, of talking to a lot of people over the years. Yeah. No, for sure. I, I don't know. I think like, what do I want to say? How did that impact like everything you've done after that? Cause I feel like a lot of like, life lessons and you know habits and a lot of that had to have impacted everything in porn well yeah i think um you know for, for one respect um, my appreciation for good production and good lighting uh comes from being in television news and i always tell my friends who are still in news it's really not any different your day to day you're still dealing with a lot of dicks and assholes either way <laughs> but uh uh, but in terms of uh, a story, I mean, porn is a story, right? You have a beginning, a middle, and and hopefully, a, a, you know, an end, uh, or or it just stops, and you're like, what what the hell was that, right? <laughs> uh, but good porn is is a story, and the other aspect is it's a series of uh, tight shots, medium shots, wide shots. You know, it's it's just like a television news story in that respect. Uh, and I approach it that way. You know, I, I like things to, to look good. I like things to flow. Um, I think that the perspective of, of all those interviews also helps me um, put guys at ease when, when we're shooting, if they're super nervous, and sometimes they are. Um, and, and that's kind of the unfortunate part when you, you get any kind of like title, like when people say legend and all that, because that scares people 
guys, you know, come and they're so nervous that they, you know, they're not getting hard or whatever because they're so nervous. And I'm like, take, take an edible, <laughs> smoke a little, do what you need to do to relax. Or, you know, we'll just go outside and, and sit for an hour and, and chat for a bit. Um, because I, you know, I, that, that's, that's unfortunate that I, I would make someone feel uncomfortable. Uh, but I, I think I'm pretty good at making people feel comfortable because I did that for so many years in interviews. Yeah. No, I, I don't know. I, I, I feel like your reputation, if anything, would make people feel more at ease. I would hope. You yeah. kind of like lead by example. And I don't know. I would feel less nervous. Yeah, I would hope so. I mean, I, I try to to put people at ease and, you know, I'm certainly not the the critical type of, of, of guys because, uh, you know, we all, when we're naked, regardless of how perfect uh, someone might perceive someone like, but I'll just pick a random name who I do think is pretty amazing, Sky Knox. Uh, if, you know, someone who we perceive to be perfect I'm sure they don't perceive themselves to be perfect. Uh, and no matter who we are, when we're naked on camera, I think there are things that all of us see that we're like, oh, 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 wait, oh, you know, uh, all of us have that, <laughs> you know, and that's one, th one reason why uh, my partners know not to watch even my studio porn with me because I will critique it to death to the point where it's just not fun. So they know better than to do that. Uh, and I'm my own most harsh critic, but I think everyone um, who gets in front of a camera in any capacity, certainly not just porn, uh, because television news, like the first four years, I couldn't watch myself. Uh, I, I didn't. I didn't want to see myself. And it, it's porn has that same process where you get used to you seeing yourself on camera and you don't cringe anymore. It just takes a while. <laughs> uh, but uh, I, I think you ought to be able to give yourself uh, some permission to be who you are and give other people that same permission, flaws and all, you know? Uh, hey, anyone who's willing to get naked and have sex in front of a camera, uh, you got some balls if you're, <laughs> if you're up for that, you know? Yeah, it's not an easy, it's not an easy thing. And to do it authentically, is, is even more uh, pronounced. I, I think about the first the first few years that um, that I was doing porn, I thought kind of the same thing that I was told in television news, that you need to be this way, you need to act this way, you need to present this way. And consultants do that in TV news, they tell you that. And it's kind of the same process in relearning to be yourself in front of camera, uh, relearning to be authentic in front of the camera. Um, and it, it takes a while before you get back to yourself. Um, and it's so contrary to what uh, consultants in TV news tell you. It's contrary to what directors in porn tell you. They're trying to get you to be their vision of a particular character. And in some respects, you know, you could argue that's their job. They have a yeah. script. This is what the character is supposed to be. You're an actor. Portray that, 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 that person. But there's also the part um, where, where you come in where there's a reason they hired you for this because they like who you, who you are. Um, and hopefully some of that authentic self comes through. I think that does with a lot of uh, mainstream actors. I think, you know, uh, I'll name an older senior actor, uh, Anthony Hopkins. 
Um, yes. You know, you have to think that there's at least a little bit of him in Hannibal Lecter, not the dark part, but the charming part, right? You would picture him to be some some respects like that. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's kind of what you bring to the table, I think. Yeah, absolutely. So one thing that I, I think really separates you from a lot of the other interviews I've done is your life outside of porn. Right. So if like, what do you like off camera? Like, what are your interests? What are your hobbies? What are you passionate about? I don't think I'm that interesting, but <laughs> uh, obviously I love to, uh, I love to work out. Um, it's probably my, uh, my biggest hobby. Um, I also love to read. Uh, I read five to six newspapers a day online. I read a ton of blogs online. Uh, I, I watch CNN. I watch Fox News. I watch NBC. I watch CBS. Uh, I try to take in a variety of sources and be able to you know, discuss whatever's going on in the world in fairly good detail. Um, I pride myself on that. I think that's important. Um, I like to um, uh, certainly meet up with, we spend a lot of time with our friends here in town, um, you know, at uh, benefits and events. Palm Springs is very big on civic involvement. So there's a lot of stuff like that to do. Um, and I like to travel. Um, we go on usually one Atlantis cruise a year, and then we usually go on, you know, two or three smaller vacations. Plus, uh, you know, I do events for Ray Dalton's fornication party, have one coming up in uh, Dallas in uh, mid-April here, and then another in May in Fort Lauderdale. Um, and I, I enjoy those trips. It's it's always fun to go somewhere and see something different, uh, especially when, uh, you know, you can hopefully make some money too and, and shoot some good movies. Yeah. So, and you're super passionate about politics as well, correct? I am. Uh, and it sometimes gets me in trouble, uh, which is, is probably a, a good thing if it gets you in a big a little bit of trouble because it means you are passionate about it. Um, we used to have a saying in news, when you covered a story, uh, if you piss both sides off, you're doing your job. <laughs> right? Uh, I, I, don't, I don't want everyone I love to it. agree with me. Um, and I, likewise, I don't want to agree with everyone. Uh, I think it's, it's pretty sad uh, when we've gotten to a point where uh, if you disagree with whatever uh, everyone in the LGBT movement is putting out that you're branded a Trumper or you're branded a Republican, uh, we ought to have the freedom to disagree uh, within a particular party, whatever party you're in. Um, I admire those in the Democratic Party that sometimes step out, Joe Manchin. I admire those in the Republican Party that sometimes step out like Mitt Romney. Um, they don't always fall in line with what the party thinks. And I think we need that. Um, you know, we, we also need the, the AOCs of the world to shake things up. That's very important. Um, do, I, do I want her necessarily leading the Democratic Party? No, not yet. Uh, but I think, I think that that voice is very necessary and I'm glad we have some diverse voices. I just, um, I, I just worry that, you know, I have people write me on Facebook oftentimes that say they, uh, they totally agree with a particular viewpoint that may not be the, uh, the mainstream LGBT viewpoint, but they're afraid to say so because of what people will, how people will treat them or what they'll say. 
um, you know, I don't have to agree with everything that, that you believe in order for us to be friends. Uh, we need to get back to that. Uh, and, and the cat is talking here. And I feel like, um, you know, we've gotten away from being able to agree to disagree. And, and yes, uh, certainly a lot of that um, is on the other side, on the Trump side as well. Those people, some, some of them you can't talk to. That's very true. But that doesn't mean you stop trying. Um, we need to keep pounding away and keep trying to have a dialogue uh, from both left, left and right um, if we're going to get anywhere, because polarization is, is not what this country is supposed to be. Uh, and, and, and certainly, it, it, you know, obviously, political power has gone back and forth between the two parties um, for, for 200 plus years. Uh, so that's, that's a part of our democracy. But uh, the part that we can have is shutting people down. We need to be able to hear different voices. Uh, yeah. And everyone needs to be able to work towards compromise. And that's left, that's right, that's everyone. Um, and until we can get back to being willing to compromise and whoever's saying it's all them, because it's not, it's not all them, it's not all you, uh, but we, we've got to get back to a point to where we can at least start talking again. And no, I, God. like when you just said all that, like inside, I was just like cheering up and down and throwing a party because like i'm frankly like i'm old enough to remember when your political affiliation wasn't the end of the world it wasn't us as them and i'm right about everything and you're wrong about everything oh fuck. yeah yeah and um you know i i, I look at this and in any time i post about compromise and about having a conversation invariably what happens on facebook is whoever it is will say well as soon as they then I, there's not like, well, you know, I'm willing to come across the table and let's see what they say. It's like, no, this is on them. They need to come towards me first. As, as long as you're there, okay. it doesn't matter what side you're on because we're never going to get to be able to talk. You know, yeah. as long as you approach it from a position of hostility and aggression, you can't, you can't have a conversation, you know, and... Uh, I worked for some pretty conservative radio stations before I got into television. One of my first stations in Bakersfield, California had uh, Rush Limbaugh, G. Gordon Liddy, Dr. Laura, Dennis uh, Prager. Um, it was a pretty conservative station and a local talk show host. And frequently I'd be working in the newsroom. He'd be on the other side of the glass wall doing his radio show and I'll be listening to it. And you know, he would heckle me as the, hey, uh, let's ask the gay liberal in the news department what he thinks. And, you know, it was it was uh, an interesting experience to have because he would frequently turn on the mic and just say, uh, hey, I know you're working on your four o'clock news right now, but what do you think about this? You know, and I would give him my opinion and he would test it and we would have a discussion. And sometimes it got pretty damn heated. Uh, and some of the stuff that he said, bordering on offensive. Uh, but after the show was over, he and I would go have a drink and hang out. We could still be friends. Uh, you know, I didn't, uh, part of it was a, a bit of a shtick, um, just like uh, Rush had a bit of sh a shtick to him as well. Um, when I was going through college at Cal State Sacramento, I was intern 
an intern at KFBK in Sacramento when Rush was the morning talk show host. And I would be there as he was getting ready for a show before it was a national show and hanging out one on one with him. He, he wasn't uh, that much of a jerk. He was actually a pretty fun guy to hang out with and super kind. Uh, but when he got in the air, the whole the shtick started. And obviously it sold well because, you know, he had a long uh, career. Uh, unfortunately, he I think he did go way too far with it. Uh, with some of the, the truly hurtful things that he, he said in the, the 90s and early 2000s. Um, but you, uh, you get tested by those people to learn how to have good conversations and how to present an argument and how to say, well, okay, maybe you're not going to come all the way over to where I'm at, but where would you be willing to meet in the middle? Where, where would you give a little bit? And at least back then, even Rush, uh, we had discussions uh, before he went on air and he was open to compromise with things. And um, it, it, it's a good test of your of your skills because you have to be willing to to work with people to get things done. Uh, yeah. No one no one succeeds in this world on their own. And certainly in, in the, the sector of government um, to get anything done, you've got to be willing to make deals and deal making gets called a bad thing all the time, but deal-making has always been a part of our, our government. Uh, you have to do it and you, you have to be willing to make some compromise. Yeah. And you're not just passionate about politics, but you're, you've thought about going into it. Well, I mean, the joke on my, my Twitter page is future U.S. Senator. And that's, that's definitely exaggerated. It was kind of a joke, but, uh, you know, my, Anything's my, possible. My, my dad was um, a political science professor and worked for Governor Jerry Brown um, when I was growing up. And so um, I spent a lot of time in and around the Capitol. So I grew up with politics. Meet the Press was on every Sunday. Uh, my dad, you know, literally lived the news. Uh, we, we watched it constantly instead of instead of cartoons. I got news. <laughs> uh, but yes, um, I. I I love public service. I think it would be great to run for uh, an office at some point, maybe city council here in Palm Springs. Uh, it certainly is a, a very uh, right-minded place to do that in terms of the LG, LGBT population here. And we've had uh, people from many walks of life and uh, we had an LGBT, all LGBT city council up until two years ago. Um, it's, it's fantastic here in that respect. And I think, uh, there's, there's a lot of people who say they would like to see me run. So we'll see. I don't know. I say go for it. I wouldn't. <laughs> I don't think the U.S. Senator is that outlandish. I mean. Well, we need a, we need a, um, a gay vice president first or a gay president. Uh, people ask me all the time, you know, if, if Pete Buttigieg should run for president. And um, he definitely should run. But honestly, we haven't had a, a woman president yet. And so I think we're probably um, 15 years away from a gay president, if not 20 years, but we'll get there. Um, I, I hope we see, uh, I so hope we see a woman soon. Yeah, no, I think, I think you could do it. I Thank absolutely you. think you could. <laughs> I'm just blown I, I, away by, by your character and by just even the way you view and talk about politics. It's literally like listening to you talk and just like, Oh my God, thank you. Like, thank you, Jesus. Like, I'm just, 
I'm so sick and tired of the us versus them and the divisive shit. And like, it's just, I, and I think honestly, a lot of people are moderate and want to get back to that. But you know, it's, it's, I I would say that most people, most people in this country, um, no longer feel that either party accurately represents their views. Um, I think there's a number of Republican friends I have that say their party has gotten too extreme. Uh, but there's an equal number of uh, Democratic friends I have that say that party has gotten too extreme. Um, and until we can get back to both parties looking more towards center, uh, I think people are going to feel that way. Uh, because I think if you sit down and you give people, I don't want to call it a litmus test, but a, a list of positions and you ask them to score where they are in things, most people are in the moderate range. They're not way left. They're not way right. Uh, and I, I think most people uh, are, are somewhere in the middle. And, it, it, we, you know, I would like to see us get back to that because I think that's where the, the real progress is for everyone. If we can work together to get stuff done, I always say at the end of the day, you know, the basic things that people want, they want to have a nice home. They want to be able to uh, enjoy their off time and enjoy their family. However, you might define that they don't, they want to be free of crime. They want financial security. Uh, They want to travel at at the end of the day. What they want is to enjoy life. Now um, how we define that and how we get there are are very different things. Uh, But ultimately that's pretty much what everyone wants. And I, I think we lose sight of that. When, especially when you get into the us versus they, um, you know, the, the people down the street that vote differently than you, uh, you know, are, are not uh, demons sacrificing children. They, they just happen to disagree with you, you know, and in some cases, you know, um, that takes some education. If it's if it's ignorance about something like sexuality or uh, race, um, sometimes all it takes is them knowing someone who's uh, LGBT and suddenly that's someone they know and that's a friend and not a them, that's now an us. So they can no longer feel that way. Um, But, you know, I think that's how you you change hearts and minds is is one-on-one by being the best example of that that you can be. And that's not to say that we don't need laws. Don't, Don't miss the point. Yes, we do need laws, but changing hearts and minds is done one-on-one by, by who you are more than what you say. I, God, you just, you are literally saying so many things I want to say on a daily <laughs> basis. And the, the thing I was probably most excited to talk to you about was your faith. Cause that just, that's the one thing I've been needing on this show more than anything is so. I, right. Please. Well, you know, I, I mentioned about my uh, my dad being an alcoholic and my brother, my brother's drug addiction. And we really didn't have any religion on in my family. The first time I was at church was when I was 12 and my, my brother got married. And the second time I was in church was with my uh, second girlfriend when I was 17 or 15, actually 15. Uh, so uh, and then the third time wasn't until I was 42. But when I was 42 uh, and in Dallas, I went to Cathedral of Hope, which is the world's largest predominantly gay church, still is. 
And um, it was so refreshing and so affirming to go in there and come out of church feeling better about yourself than you went in. Um, you know, you, you should feel that way. Um, and, and that's not to say there's not a place uh, for realizing that you need to change some things and how you treat people. Um, a, a feeling of uh, not condemnation, but conviction that, hey, God's dealing with you about something. You need, you need to address this. You need to change how you treat this particular person. Um, and, and that's important too. But church, for the most part, should be affirming, should be inspirational. You should feel love. You should feel happiness. And I felt all that there. And um, when my late partner um, took his life, uh, Cathedral Pope provided an, an entire service sanctuary and reception, uh, all free of charge, because I, I certainly didn't have it. Um, <laughs> and his family who had come and taken everything because he didn't have a will, um, was trying to construct the service in the way that they wanted it. And the pastor at Cathedral Hope says, no, you may have the weight of uh, the law to um, take material things, but here, what he says goes. What what Jim says goes. He's he's the partner, even if they don't have the rule of law, because you you couldn't be married in 2014 in Texas. So um, um, I was baptized in that church, uh, became a member of that church, and then um, they had the service for my late partner. And and every time I go back, I still uh, make it to Cathedral of Hope. I watch on weekends. Uh, via the web. They have uh, all of their services up. You can watch them live or, or after. Uh, it, it, it's a great experience. And, um, you know, as we were talking before we went on camera, um, it's not to say that religion hasn't, um, people haven't used the name of religion to do some horrible things. They, they definitely have. But there's also a lot of positive things that have come out. And there's also a lot of positive things that people can benefit from that can enrich their lives that hopefully at least how I look at it, make me a better person. And I'm always interested in trying to be a better person. Um, and whatever that means, however you want to define that. Um, as we were talking before, again, people say, well, what if you're wrong about this? What if there's no God? Well, okay. Uh, let's assume there is, is it such a bad thing? Uh, to, to have believed in, in something that made you treat others in a better way, that made you show love and compassion to others. Um, and that's how I define belief, um, is, is you're a conduit for God's love to other people um, and, and, and sharing love for people and being kind to people and treating them with respect and compassion. That's how I define that. And that's how my church defines it. Um, and they call it, um, the, the, they call it progression or progressive for progressivism at the church. Uh, and they're very big on that. Um, and it's, it's always inspiring every time I go, um, it's, it's important to me. I'm just speechless. I, I don't know. I, I just, well, I, I should add one more thing about uh, people say, how can you um, say you're a person of faith and do porn? 
they have trouble reconciling that. And I have no trouble at all uh, because I feel that sex is one of the highest levels of human expression and God created me. God created sexual expression between humans. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with that. I believe, um, God celebrates when we have sex. God loves us having sex. Um, God loves us caring for each other. Um, (laughs) and that's why sometimes it bothers me a bit when people, especially in porn or OnlyFans or whatever, um, turn sex into just a transaction. Um, even if you're shooting together, I feel like, um, I'm sharing a part of myself with you, uh, whichever part that might be or multiple parts. <laughs> and, uh, I, I, I think it's still an incredibly special thing. And, you know, if you've, if you've shot with someone, you know, I try to stay in touch with everyone I shoot with. It doesn't always work out. You only hear from like half of them in the weeks after, but I try to stay close to, to everyone I've shot with. And even if that doesn't happen, I always feel like for that hour, um, I, I've shared something special with them that I know I'll remember all my life. Um, what, whether the sex was amazing or whether it was okay or you know whatever, um, I'll remember that. I always remind people though that sex is like pizza. It's like even when it's bad, it's still pretty good. <laughs> right? Am I wrong about that? <laughs> no, one thing I, I sorry, I've been meaning to say this for a while. One thing I will give you like 20 brownie points in is wit. You are like lightning fast with the witty comments and shit. Like, thank you. You, you made See, your article earlier. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. And uh, if you wouldn't mind telling the story about, it, I think you said it was the assistant pastor. Oh, yeah. Well, um, so shortly before I left Dallas in, in 2018, uh, a member, I'll just say a member of the church staff was murdered by a guy that he met online that came over and the guy tied him up for his request and then bludgeoned him 32 times. Well, the, uh, the pastor said he wanted to see some good out of it. So he asked me to organize a panel um, with a police officer, a therapist, and myself on um, how to hook up or hire safely. And we did the panel. I was a little nervous about the police, but they assured me it was just um, safety. And we had about 60 people attend. Um, and it was great. It was very informative. Um, I came up with a tip sheet, uh, hand out 10, 10 tips to, to safe hiring. And there was no criticism from anyone except for some of the members of the church who felt it was inappropriate that I would be speaking in any behalf on a panel for the church. And the pastor said, on the contrary, um, he is exactly the person who should be sharing his story. He's exactly the person who can help others. And if anything good can come out of this, this is the good that we we should try for. Um, So I was happy to help with it, but I was also a bit surprised by some of the the judgmental people, even in an all gay church or a predominantly gay church. It it was surprising. 
Um, but that element, especially in, in Dallas, which, you know, is part of the South is, is still kind of there. Um, you know, they, they, everyone has sex, but you don't talk about it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and just because faith is extraordinarily important to me, I would argue the most important aspect of my life. Like, what would you say to the people that are watching this who, you know, maybe grew up in church or whatever, and then, you know, went away from it and like, they're hesitant to go back because, you know, they're used to like the, you know, ultra, ultra conservative right wing or like, oh, you know, the Bible says that be, you've heard all that song and dance. What would you yeah. say to those people? Well, um, I get that there's a lot of pain there for a lot of people and it, it's totally understandable. Uh, but there's also a lot of places now that are not that way. You know, the um, much of the Methodist Church is pretty affirming now. Um, Cathedral of Hope is a member of the United Church of Christ, which is definitely affirming. Um, Unitarian, MCC, there's a lot of options out there. If you're LGBT and a person of faith, there's a, there's a lot of places you can go. Um, and it, it's tough to get past that pain, but I would encourage um, anyone who has, who has had a bad experience um, to give it another shot, go with a friend, try it again, um, and, and see what you can get out of it. Um, I, I think there's the tendency, if you don't agree with everything you hear here again, to just toss it out. Um, and I pick up little pieces of things from everyone I, I meet, I think, um, that are a benefit. And if, you know, I don't have to agree or like everything about them, but um, I'm like, okay, you've got a point. I'll have to try that. Um, and it's kind of the same thing with, uh, with going back to church at first. It may be, it may be hard to get, or it may be difficult at first, but uh, it's worthwhile. Uh, especially if you pick the right church and I, I would be cautious about that. <laughs> yeah, no, I, uh, trust me, I'm very well aware of how difficult it is to find the right church. Like, yeah. Firstly, you just go to Yelp, read reviews, go to the, their website because a lot of churches will just straight up say like, you know, on their main page, what their beliefs are. On. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you know, you can always drop in on a, a Sunday service and see what, see what you think. Um, you know, I certainly did my share of, uh, I'll call it church shopping in Dallas when I got there. Um, Cathedral Hope was really the, you know, the only option. And when I got there in 1995 and now there's three, uh, gay churches that are, have sprung up and are doing well. And that's, that's good to see. That's good to see. Um, Dallas would kind of be the place if you would expect that to develop, that it would develop there. <laughs> so what does, what does the future look like for you? Well, uh, the immediate future is, um, you know, I had, um, shoulder surgery back in December and, um, we're now, a little over four months since shoulder surgery. So I've been back to lifting, uh, for about two months. Um, some of the physical therapists have said no lifting for six months. Some said, uh, wait, wait three months. I'm like, no, uh, I will be back to full power in six months. I'm starting lifting after two months. Sorry. I'm like, uh, I I'm not taking six months off. No, uh, I will be back to full power. Well, I don't know if that's a good idea. I didn't ask you. 
<laughs> I'm, I'm laughing gonna... hysterically because I would have reacted the exact same way. Yeah. Well, my my two partners know uh, you're not gonna you're not gonna talk me out of it. You're not. <laughs> so um, it's gone well. Uh, and now the physical therapists are, uh, were four months and they're like, oh, wow, you're way ahead. Well, it's probably because I took initiative and pushed. You know, if I had sat back and did nothing for six months, then, you know, where would I be? Uh, not only that is it's like uh, if you're going to be naked in front of a camera, you better not take six months off. I'm just saying unless you absolutely have to. Uh, but that's why I put off surgery for really 10 years because I didn't take more than three months off. You know, and it got to the point to where I couldn't sleep on that side. Um, uh, if I went to the gym, I had to take a pain pill first and then icy hot and then ice it for two hours afterwards. And then it would ache the rest of the day. And um, it was time. I mean, there was no cartilage left on that side after 27 years of bodybuilding. And uh, it had grown a two inch bone spur in the arm to try and immobilize it. So they had to basically remove my arm from my shoulder and then uh, cut off the bone spur and then put on a titanium ball on the top and then another plate on the scapula and then sew it all back up. Um, and there's no scar. It's amazing. I, I, I asked the guy, the orthopedic surgeon, I said, now tell me you also do plastic surgery because I need some work. <laughs> so, uh, no, he did a fine job. Um, it, it works well. Uh, it's the, what you have to do after all that is you get the range back because your connective tissue and muscles, you know, have all been cut through to get to that point and then they reattach it. So you got to get all that back. Um, it's gone well though. I mean, my, my range, I'm all the way up here before surgery. I couldn't go above here. So, and I don't have pain, so it's a success. Um, beyond, um, healing from that and getting back, um, getting back to full speed, I'm doing, uh, as I said, the fornication event in, uh, Dallas, uh, April and then in uh, May in Fort Lauderdale. And then I have some other travel plans in New York this summer and uh, making my first visit to P-Town at the end of July. I've, I've never been. I've always wanted to go. So that's going to be uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. So. OK, before I forget, I've never asked this to anyone, but I'm really hoping like this is a question for the audience. OK. Uh, how do you deal with aging? Because as a society, like we've become very youth obsessed and all that. And like, you'll see a lot of older guys where they'll like dye their hair jet black and overdo the Botox. And you're just looking at them and you're just like, Oh God, no. So my question to you is yeah. like, you, you're like Pierce Brosnan. You're like Sean Connery. You're just aging so gracefully and so perfectly. Oh, thank so you. What advice would you give to the men and or women out there who are like getting older and like considering, you know, going down the Joan Rivers road? Like well, how, how uh, did you accept that? I, I'd say, first of all, uh, I, I don't discriminate. I'm okay if you're young. <laughs> just kidding <laughs> it's okay i won't kick those twinks out of bed <laughs> no um you know if, if someone has the uh the means to improve themselves uh go for it uh whether that's um uh, you know however you define that in the gym um if that's 
uh, chemical enhancement, if that's plastic surgery, hey, you know, uh, go for it. Now there is obviously too much. You can do too much to where it looks awful. Um, but I think there's there's people certainly uh, chair Joan Rivers, uh, excellent plastic surgery. Uh, number one would be Jane Fonda. Look at her. Come on. I mean, that's some amazing work. She she looks fantastic. Uh, and, and there are men, um, some of those you mentioned that have had great work too. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. Um, but I, I pointed out to someone the other day, um, Tom Chase. Do you remember Tom Chase from the early Falcon days of porn? Good friend of mine, um, legendary top for years and years and years. He's talking about making a comeback to porn, but he had posted on Facebook this list of like 15 procedures he wants to have and feels he needs to have before he can make a, a comeback to porn. And I told him, hey, you know, if, if you've got the money to do all that and you want to go through all that, fine. But what I've discovered about our industry is that it, 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 it doesn't matter how good you look. It doesn't because at the end of the day, you're still the number that they have on their, their sheet of your age. It doesn't matter how good you look. Um, they still see that number, you know, 53, and that's all that matters to them. You know, they sort you out based on, on that and that alone. Um, it's unfair, but it's true. And, and to some extent, uh, porn measures everyone by the same yardstick, whether they're 25 or 45, you're measured in terms of appearance and body by the same yardstick. Um, that's unfortunate um, because trying to, I think that's a bad example for men who are over 50 to feel that they should have to look like they're 25. Um, I, I'm very happy with who I am at 53. Um, I, I feel I look good. Um, I, I'm not I think you to... look phenomenal, but I, I would never, I, I would never say that always best to err on the side of modesty. <laughs> it's always more attractive. Anyone who tells you that they're attractive, that's not attractive. Yeah, um, and it's also not for you to decide. Um, I appreciate the compliment. Um, and, and I, you know, that's exterior and I, I you know, I like that. Uh, but you know, there's the compliments you get from other people and then there's what you feel about yourself. And, you know, I'm, I, I'm comfortable in my skin. I feel that I'm, I'm attractive enough. There's always things you want to improve, hopefully, you know, whether physically or mentally, ho hopefully you're always looking to, to make yourself better in some respect. And I remind myself all at the gym at the time, you know, I have my trophies over there. I have my pictures from my bodybuilding competitions in the last 25 years. I can never be uh, 35 again, but I know one thing, I can be the best version of 53 that I can be right now, you know, and I can still do most everything that I did back then, maybe not as heavy, uh, but I can still get good results, um, you know, and I'm, I'm generally happy and satisfied with that. Uh, and you have to learn to be satisfied as, as, as you age. You have to learn to be happy with who you are, um, the changing version of who you are, because you're, you're not going to be the same person you are at 25. And, and hopefully not, really. Uh, I, because people always ask, would you want to go back to being 25? I'm like, uh, even if I could know everything I know now, probably not. Uh, it's been pretty damn hard. 
<laughs> you know, uh, and I'm not so sure where we are right now in the world uh, that 50 years from now, things are going to be all, all that great. Uh, it's worrisome. Yeah. No, I just, I, I don't know. I, I've just, I was always raised to respect my elders and, and I feel like you carry yourself and you just have a certain just confidence. And like, I don't know, I guess I would look at you as like the male version of like Tina Turner. <laughs> okay. Well, they say I have good legs, so maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, yeah. No, um, like I said, you have to be comfortable with yourself. And I can, you know, I, I, I meet men all the time that ask me, oh, my gosh, you know, you're 53. How are you still doing porn? I'm like, well, apparently there's still a market for me. Um, I still have, a, you know, good OnlyFans and Just for Fans numbers. Um, I'd like there to be more subscribers. Sure, we all would. Uh, but, you know, obviously someone must find me attractive because they still buy my movies or watch, you know, subscribe to my site or whatever. Um, I think one of the benefits of, you know, of the Internet, certainly, and OnlyFans and Just for Fans is that uh, there's a market for everything. doesn't matter who you are, what you look like. There's a market for everything. Uh, so when, when guys often message me and ask advice about getting into porn uh, or they, the most common one. And you may get this too, is uh, do you think I'm attractive enough to be in porn? And um, the best answer and the universally kind answer to that is uh, with 2.8 billion people in the world, there's a market for everything. And regardless of whether you think you're attractive enough or not, someone finds you attractive out there. Someone does. Absolutely. It's, that's something I preach all the time on this channel. I'm like, there's yeah. plenty of people who don't find me attractive and that's totally okay. Right. You're never going to appeal to everybody ever. I try not to take that personally. Cause I mean, uh, you don't know what someone's into, uh, you know, maybe they prefer black men, maybe they like Asian, maybe they like big guys, small guys, twinks, midgets. I don't know, you know, so why would I take the decision that, you don't aren't particularly attracted to me to be personal to me. That's, exactly. that's about your taste, not mine. <laughs> so why would I be offended by that? I don't, I, I don't really process jealousy that way. Yeah, no, absolutely. So do you have an age where you plan on getting out of porn or? Well, I guess that goes along with when we were talking about uh, what I plan to do next. Um, I think if I were to make a decision to stop, it would be in two years where I'd have 10 years in the business and say, all right, I've done my 10 years. Uh, that That's a possibility, something I might think about, especially because there are definitely things that um, other things I want to do with my life. Um, I feel like I've pretty much done everything in porn that I wanted to do. Uh, I won my grabbies. I won my gavians. Um, you know, I've shot a lot of different types of genres of porn, um, you know, from kink.com to fun size boys, to twink top, to Titan, to Pantheon men, to raging stallion, <laughs> all of those, um, you know, I have, I think 84 studio credits, uh, of movies that I've been in over the years. Um, so I feel like I've done pretty much everything there is to do. Um, and that's not to say 
there's not new and exciting projects still out there that I would love to be involved with if, if a studio wants to pursue that. Um, I'll probably be shooting again soon with, with Fun Size Boys, with Carnal Media. Uh, Wolf, Wolf Legrand is a great friend. Um, certainly Austin and the Taylor, one of my most famous movies, is uh, you know probably going to be on my tombstone. <laughs> Everyone loves Austin and the Taylor. Uh, and uh, I'm still good friends with Austin O. Young. He now lives back in California. We see each other from time to time. Uh, but I remind people, he's 26. He may look 15, but he's 26. <laughs> <laughs> so what 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 do you want to do like when you finally retire from porn well like i said we talked Besides about politics, so that's, that's a possibility uh, you know i would like to uh to do some more traveling um i feel like i've barely seen any of the world um i've been to europe twice uh three times actually uh spain uh france italy and the uk uh, so there's still a lot of Europe I would like to see, um, a lot I would like to go back to. Um, so there's that, uh, that for sure. Um, but I feel like um, I'm not the, the person that, I, that should be working at the, uh, the general store. I feel like I have some greater purpose that I need to be out there doing something, uh, something with people. That's, that's awesome. So... Um, I always give everyone an opportunity. So anyone who's watching this video who obviously has fallen in love with you at this point, where would they find like all your social media, OnlyFans, Just for Fans, anything and everything you want to plug? Uh, well, I'm on Facebook as Dallas Steele. Um, there, I have a page there. I also have a personal page under uh, Jim Walker, which is my real name. Most people know that. Uh, Twitter is Dallas Steele XXX. Uh, only fans is Dallas Steel XXX. Just for fans is Dallas Steel XXX. You see the same pattern here. <laughs> uh, so, uh, and then my email address is DallasSteel at gmail.com. Uh, so all of those. Oh, and Instagram. Um, I was up to 98,000 followers last March, and then they deleted my account. So I'm back up to 14,000 now, but 10 years of work went down the drain with that. Uh, but uh, my current email or Instagram address is daddy underscore Dallas Steel. And there are like 50 imposters, and I've tried to get the imposters pulled down. No luck. No luck. But, you know. So, yeah. <laughs> I'm easy to get a hold of. Uh, when, I, when I meet people out, new people out in Palm Springs, I was like, how can I find you? I'm like, Google. I, mean, uh, I have like six pages of Google that come up. Uh, and not all of it's porn. A lot of it's this stuff. I have a ton of interviews uh, that I've done over the years with Instinct, with London Daily Mail, with the New York Post, um, Huffington Post, um, a couple of interviews with French TV, which is kind of strange. This French TV news magazine interviewed me and I had a, a translator in my ear. Strange questions, very strange questions, but... <laughs> I just, frankly, I'm just absolutely blown away by your character, by your mindset, by your work ethic, by, it just, I I think you, if anything, would make a phenomenal role model for the younger people in this industry and, you know, the LGBT community. I do what I can uh, to, uh, 
model good behavior and being kind to people um, in the industry. Uh, it doesn't always work out, uh, but I, I do what I can. Uh, there was a guy I shot with six or seven months ago that showed up that really impressed me. Um, Evan West um, from Fresno, California, sexy Latino guy, but showed up for OnlyFans with a bouquet of flowers. I'm like, that's classy. And then after a week after sent a handwritten thank you card, I'm like, someone raised you right. I was wow. Yeah. Uh, and was on time and was prepared. Uh, yeah, that's nice. Um, I shot with Brian Bonds the other day and Brian and I have been friends for many, many years. And he, uh, he showed up 15 minutes early and I was still in the bathroom, you know, getting ready and everything. And, uh, I walked out, I said, I'm not used to people being on time. No one is ever on time. And he's like, well, I'm on time. I'm like you're old school <laughs> and you know, you're, you're, you're ready to bang right now. There's no, no waiting, nothing. We're both ready to go. And, you know, he knows how to make his body look good. He knows how to make his partner look good. Um, and I'm really excited about that movie coming out on Friday. It's a great OnlyFans, but it's like two old friends getting together to have some hot sex and make a great movie. And uh, it, it, it was it was fun. It's what porn is supposed to be, um, and it, it'll be good. It, we did we did a flip. <laughs> wow, I no, it's my last question for you is where do you think that type of that where do you think that comes from i mean like yeah you can be raised right oh yeah like like that very just traditional old school like you know you show up on time you treat people with respect the the personal touch because i i know i don't know because i really um you know um like i said my parents were divorced at 10 and I had the incredibly good fortune that my mom was uh, blessed to meet a, a really great man who uh, was ex-military um, and didn't hadn't ever had a kid. He had two daughters, but his his ex-wife got custody of the daughter, so I was essentially his son. And it was a quite an awakening for me to go from having no discipline. And my biological father that really didn't give a shit if I was dead or alive to having this guy where I suddenly had schedules and structure and rules and discipline and chores. And I fought it for like the first year that we were all together. It was tough. Uh, And he was tough. He was very tough on me. I had chores all day, every Saturday. And then uh, before school, I had inspection to make sure that my bed was made. And I had curfew. And for every minute that you were late for curfew, you were grounded a full day. So as a result, in my adult life, uh, I am never late. I am never late. Uh, if you, you know, if, if I am, again, check the more because it doesn't, it does not happen. Um, but is that harsh? Yeah, all of that's very harsh. Um, did it make me a, a, a good man? I think so. Uh, because he taught me the importance of um, always being on time, uh, always finishing your job, 
and always doing the best that you can at, at, at your job or at anything that you're, you're endeavoring to do. Um, it, you know, and people talk about values in terms of liberal versus conservative. When people ask me about my values, those are my values right there. Uh, doing your best, being on time, and, and always finishing what you start. Um, and I think if you start from a foundation of that and, and taking pride in, in what you do and who you are, um, then that translates um, in, in, into a kind of esteem where it allows you to be kind and thoughtful to others, and it, it's automatic. And I don't think I would have had any of that had it not been for my stepfather, um, who who's, who's a great guy. He really is. Do you guys still talk to this day? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, um, since my mom passed, I, I would say we're probably closer now than we've ever been. Uh, and, and she would like that. She would definitely like that. She um, she had a 30-year battle with cancer, uh, breast cancer in her 50s, where she lost both breasts, and then uh, bone cancer in her 60s, and then finally liver cancer in her 70s. And after 30 years of chemo and radiation, they just said... Uh, enjoy the rest of your life. So she did for the last, uh, she's only supposed to live six months and she lived three more years. So, but we practiced goodbye every year for 30 years. Uh, every time I saw her, we said goodbye because we never knew. <laughs> so um, we had said everything we wanted to say when she passed. And so is is uh, not that death is ever a, a, a great thing, but um, we were at peace. We're at peace, and she is at peace. Uh, and and her husband is certainly uh, a part of my life now, and uh, he, he contributed a lot to who I am, I think. Um, and I tell him that all the time, and he's like, oh, I was too harsh. And I'm like, hey, you were an asshole. I, I hated you. Uh, until I was about 30, I hated him. Oh, my gosh. Uh, but I look back on it now, and uh, he, he, he knows what I do. And he tells me every time we talk on the phone that he's proud of me. Wow. So uh, it's good. It's good. Wow. I Okay, one last question, I promise. Sure. It, it, they, they just don't make men like you anymore. They don't. <laughs> like, what the fuck? Like, my last question for you is, what makes a man to you? Oh, goodness. Uh, yeah, <laughs> the easy one for last. Yeah. Um, well, I think most people are probably going to define that in terms of physical characteristics, but I'll, I'll, I'm going to go with, um, you know, good qualities of, uh, again, being kind and uh, thoughtful of others, um, taking care of yourself uh, so you can take care of others, uh, being responsible, um, doing what you need to do uh, to not only um, get yourself through life, but to also help make things better for others. Uh, the old saying, uh, no one is useless in this world who lightens the burden of it for another. And, and that's really true. Um, you know, no matter how useless you may feel, um, if you can help someone else, then, you know, there's that. Um, and I, I look at, you know, there's a lot of um, 
talk about how men's role, men's roles in society um, have changed, and certainly they have. But at the core of what it means in terms of me is to be responsible for myself and to take care of others. Yeah. I think that's the best definition you could have given. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I would describe a man too by personality traits. It would have nothing to do with the physical. Yeah. Yeah. No. I mean, um, I, I think there's a lot of men who uh, may have penises, but in, in my mind, you, you know, you don't quite meet the definition of what I would. Yeah. Yeah. No, agreed 100%. I, I seriously, like, I could not be more impressed with you. I cannot oh, thank, you. thank you enough. And the fact that last night I actually, like, I pray every night before bed. And I had actually prayed. I'm just like, please, dear God, let me interview someone, like, Well, hopefully it's been interesting at the least. <laughs> yes. No, I'm, I'm just, good, I'm, good. I, I can't say enough good things about you. And thank yeah, you. no, really thank you, you have been a godsend. So thank you so much for agreeing to do this. And for those of you watching, I really hope you guys enjoyed this and thank you for sticking around with us this long. I, I just, I hope it was as profound for you as it was for me. So. <laughs> hey guys, just want to say thank you for watching this video. And if you did really enjoy it, I just wanted to mention there are two ways that you can help to support this channel. On the right side, there are three little dots. If you click those, there is a super thanks button. And on the left hand side, there is a join button where you can join this channel. There are three different tiers of memberships. The top tier does actually allow one-on-one -on -one messaging with me via Discord. And I personally answer that it is not a service. That's just, you know, both of those are ways that you can help support me as a content creator in this channel. I mention this because YouTube is by far the thing that I enjoy doing the most. It's the thing I'm most passionate about. And unfortunately, a lot of the sexual videos the porn star confessions, the dom sub, all that stuff. It is not monetized due to the nature of the videos. But either way, thank you so much for taking the time to watch this. I hope you guys all have an absolutely amazing week. I love you all.